You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Friday. Happy Friday. The weekend is here. Hopefully everybody's got big plans. I don't know where where you live or what you do, but hopefully this weather that we're having kind of goes away I mean I'm ready for spring I'm ready I'm done with the cold weather I want it to start warming up I want to do some turkey hunting I want to do some mushroom hunting I want to do some fishing I want to get outside I want to knock the rust off the joints and uh, I just want to get back to to nature because I got a lot of things that I want to do uh, to prepare for this upcoming whitetail season and this elk season and uh all those things involve being outside, so I wanna I wanna start uh, breathing some fresh air, so to speak. Now, today's podcast is a unique one because our our guest today has decided to remain anonymous, and the reason he has decided to remain anonymous is because he felt that if he shares his story and gives gives certain details. Some of the people who have been, I guess, screwing with him uh, will screw with him even more if they know who he is and where he hunts. So, today's podcast is about a guy who gains access to very small parcels of property that go overlooked and he kills very high quality deer for hunting in Michigan. And uh, he's going to walk us through basically the, the majority of this podcast is how to gain access to those properties. And I'm telling you right now, it's going to be, it's a very, very good podcast. If you have ever wanted to, I guess, learn how to gain access on certain properties, because I don't know if you're like me, I knock on doors every year and a lot of people seem to be afraid to do that or you know they they screw up in the conversation or the initial meeting with the landowner and they don't know how to have a conversation so uh, today's guest kind of walks us through that that process 
of how he finds it, how he accesses it, um, how he uh, talks to the landowners, how he, he creates a relationship with the landowners. And uh, then at the end of this podcast, we kind of walk through how he handles people stealing his tree stands, stealing his trail cameras, um, and what he does uh, on that end as well. So it's a, it's a pretty cool podcast. And uh, I'm excited to, I was excited to have the conversation, really interesting. But before we get into this podcast, man, uh, Wasp Archery, if you guys haven't already, you need to check out Wasp Broadheads. They have mechanical broadheads, and they also have fixed blade broadheads. And this past year, I I used the Boss four-blade broadhead, which I'm telling you right now is a very solid American-made product that uh, is built to do one thing, and that is go through a live animal and make it bleed to death. And that is exactly what uh, uh, those broadheads did with uh, the buck I shot this last year. The best part is, well, there's, I mean, it has multiple best parts. Like uh, the guy who works there, his name's Fred Doherty. He's uh, one of the designers there. And he, he puts it very simply. We use the best materials to buy or to make the best broadheads in the United States. So uh, the best materials made in the United States producing the best broadheads. And uh, that's kind of hard to argue with. So if you guys are interested in finding more about out more about wasp broadheads, visit wasparchery.com. And uh, when it's time to purchase, use the discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers. And you will s- save 20% off your order. That's a very good uh, discount. So With all that said, let's get into today's how to ask for permission to hunt on properties podcast with someone who would like to remain anonymous. All right, we're back again. And on today's podcast, our guest has decided to remain anonymous and I don't blame him because we're going to be talking about... A variety of different things, how he accesses property, how he hunts deer on high pressured properties, and then how the properties that he does hunt basically gets overrun with trespassers, vandals, and thieves, who I have had firsthand experience with uh, this last year in 2017. So I don't blame him for going uh, anonymous on this, but Mr. X or whatever you want to be called, how are you doing, man? <laughs> Pretty good. How about yourself, Dan? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, man. So, so first off, why don't you just tell us what state do you hunt in? Uh, I hunt in Michigan. Michigan. Hunt in Lower Michigan. Okay, and you hunt in Michigan, which is you know one of those states that is synonymous for high pressure and you know lots of hunters and not a lot of access to ground you know everybody's kind of piled in on top of each other and Mm -hmm. so today you know you you sent me this email about what steps you take to access private property so you don't own property but some of the step you know the steps that you take to access some of this ground and i think that's a a great place for us to start you know we're going to just forego the intro of you know what do you do for a living all that stuff and we're going to get right we're going to get right into it today so 
Talk to me a little bit about this this approach to accessing property that you take and how you've, I guess, refined it throughout the years and why you've decided to choose knocking on doors and, and all that stuff as opposed to public hunting ground. Well, I mean, just like everyone else, I started, you know, driving down the road, you always see, you know, the big herd of deer in late December or whatever out in the nice cut crop field, you know, you knock on the door and you're the third, fourth person ass and they already have three, four people hunting it. And, you know, you're batting one out of 50 or something like that, trying to get permission. So, uh, I just tried to think another way and had to figure out another way to get permission on pieces that were overlooked and that's when i really started looking at small pieces you know they're they're overlooked as far as you know leasing opportunity goes because you know it's only five ten acres what's what's someone going to pay for five ten acres you know they don't think it's worth anything to their time to lease it or someone to lease it from the person the, the leasee i guess you would say so I originally started looking at these little tiny properties and I really wanted to shoot a higher caliber of buck because I have access to private land. My dad owns a, a good sized piece in, uh, you know, I'd say lower Michigan and, uh, just, it's just not, not hunting correctly. You know, there's multiple owners. So I just wanted to strike out on my own and really try to get my own piece so I could hunt and, and that's when I started looking at these little pieces and to get the caliber of bucks that I was after, I really started to think about it. And I had some early success on some property that I got lucky and a friend of my dad's owned and shot two gorgeous bucks off. And the one factor that that property had, even though it was eight acres, is what it, it butted up across the street to a large piece of unhuntable property. So that's originally what I went out trying to duplicate, getting permission on small pieces that were overlooked by people and butted up or bordered pieces of property that would allow deer to get some type of age on them, whether it's through, you know, no hunting or someone who didn't allow hunting or, or whatever. And that's how everything originally started. Right. Right. So then, r- real quick question, do you feel that when people go to look for places to hunt, let's say like knock on door permission, that they are f- focused on big chunks of property, the big chunks of timber, and they're not even thinking about maybe a, a small 10-acre piece that butts up to a crop field or, you know, or just a single finger or a single grass, you know, a strip of grass with a a tree in it. Yeah, definitely. You know, people look for, you know, the crops, they look for that traditional, I guess you would say, you know, bed to feed from woods to uh, to a crop field, something like that. And my ideal piece, if I could, if I could paint a perfect piece of property, it would be an overgrown, uh, kind of fallow field, just, you know, something thick and nasty with, uh, you know, autumn olive, um, bush honeysuckle, uh, multi-plurals, all that stuff. That's, that's the kind of properties I would 
look for if I was going for something that had deer and was overlooked by everybody else. Gotcha. So you started you started doing this because you you were hunting on properties that had additional pressure on it, right? From other hunters. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you you wanted to break away. Okay. So you you you're looking for these smaller pieces. Now, what resources are you looking for? I take it maps, but maybe not, or maybe drive bys or whatever. How are you locating specifically these smaller parcels that you're going to approach? So, I mean, today, this day and age, the hunter has a ton of resources at his disposal. And the one that really changed the game for me was Onyx Maps. You know, I could I can find all these small pieces that, you know, you might not realize, you know, oh, this, this 5, 10 acres isn't a part of this this big 80-acre ownership next to it. You know, this is a different owner. And uh, I would focus on those pieces. You know, Connex shows you the, the acreage, the, the owner, the address, and that was, that was huge. And after I got that and started looking through that and started identifying these, these pieces that looked like they had potential, then I would... I would drive by them and look and see how they looked, you know, just from the road, just get, you know, the, the initial face view of them. And I would prefer it. And I pretty much only target properties that don't have a house on it. I guess you would call an absentee landowner yeah. just because, you know, it's, it's exponentially harder to get permission on a, you know, five, 10 acre piece when someone's house on, especially if they don't know you, they don't know what kind of person you are. It's just the day. We live in this thing and age, yeah. and that's what I would look for right off the bat. Gotcha. And when I would drive by these properties, I would look. Initially, I would, you know, some people would look for, you know, good crossings, good funnels, stuff like that, and I do, but I'm really looking for, like, stuff I'm not seeing. You know, I'm not seeing a, a well-beat-down driveway into it or a pull-off on the side of the road, and a big thing is, um, I'm not seeing no trespassing signs. That's great for me because it shows that somebody doesn't have a, uh, I guess, like uh, a concern for the property besides its monetary value. You don't have a concern for what's going on or who's on the property. Right. So that's probably one of the biggest things right up front. So you're saying that if you if you drive by a property and see a no trespassing sign on it, it's kind of a turnoff for you? Uh, a little bit. I won't let it totally stop me because, you know, I've had instances before where, you know, I went and uh, asked that landowner and he said, yeah, you know, I I saw your property was posted, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, you know, the, the neighbor snuck on it two years back, broke his leg, and he sued me for $20,000, something like that. Oh, so Jesus. I don't let it be a, a total turnoff, but usually it's a plus not to see. Right, right. Okay. So then... After you've kind of located the property, you want to, um, you know, the small piece that you want. Is there anything around that small piece that you kind of look for that may not be on the property that you're going to address, but is next to it? Oh, definitely. And you're looking for the general area. You're looking for some type of crops, some type of cover. Because usually, you know, when you're hunting small pieces, you know, you're not going to have 
food, cover, water, everything a deer needs. If you have one thing on there that they want or need, you're you're ahead of the game there. But uh, usually I just look mainly just for the area that they're in. If I think deer can get security on the surrounding properties, like it butts up to say uh, like a church that has 20 acres in the back of it or something like that, or uh, like a larger corporate land holding or something like that out of state, um, any number of different things, park systems, stuff like that, just just city property that's, that's owned by the city that uh, is next to these pieces that you know doesn't allow hunting or anything like that. That's that's what I'm keying in on because that's where deer can go to get away from pressure. Even if the area is getting beat up, if they know that they have that little sanctuary of 20, 40, 80 acres, that's where they're going to be and that's where they're going to stay. And you're just trying to catch them on the edge and influence whatever movement you can through those small properties. Gotcha. All right. So you have this system broken down with by maps, picking the right piece, the drive-by, research, the meat, the pitch. Okay. So you're, you're in the process of picking the right piece. You've driven by it now. And then the next thing here, it says research. Now, what kind of research are you doing on this piece of property that you've now located and you've now driven by well i mean uh you can find out a lot about people just by looking them up online a lot of stuff comes up facebook everything like that if they're a business owner what kind of what kind of person they are you know i look at their facebook if i see a guy you know doing a gripping ground with like a 150 on his facebook well he's probably not going to let me hunt he probably already hunts it or something that extent. and a lot of times i'll even look up neighboring landowners see what kind of uh people they are a lot on facebook just to see you know are they hunters themselves and uh i go from there you know and then also by looking these people up you know say some guy owns a uh a fortune 500 company or something crazy like that i mean i've shown up to his house people like that house and you know dress pants dress shirt and shoes ask permission it's not like uh the days where you show up to someone's house and you're offering to, to bail hay to hunt their property, these guys would look at you cross-eyed. <laughs> right, right. So you're 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 going to the next level basically to find out as much information about the the landowner and surrounding landowners. And how are you doing that? You're going on to you mentioned Facebook, and then you're just searching. By that name, you're looking through their profile if they're not <laughs> it's almost like stalking an ex girlfriend. Kinda, yeah. I mean, Facebook's a big big one because you get that that visual in, image, I guess you can say, of who you're dealing with. Obviously, you know, there's there's other avenues and just the the general area where they reside, you can kinda base something off that as far as what kind of person they are as well. But uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely helped, I would say. Right. Okay. So just kind of an example, give me an example of what some of this research that you've done in the past has taught you about the the landowners that you're going to approach. Maybe give me a specific example. Oh, let's see here. Uh, the one guy I know he was, uh, he had his dogs all over his, uh, his profile, you know, he absolutely loved his dog. So I, uh, drove up to his house, you know, pulled in the driveway and I had my dog in the, the back seat 
with her head hanging out the window in my lab. And, uh, you know, his, uh, his two little dogs greeted me at the door and it's just, it's just finding a common ground. It's like, Oh, you know, your guard dogs, blah, blah, blah. Just hit it off with them. He's like, Oh yeah, mine's in the car. Just start talking. And then it just, it's just a, just a lead in. It works your way in, you know, Oh, this guy's a dog lover. He must be a good guy. Just like me and go from there pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're in essence, trying to find a way like because because something's coming that you have to do and you have to ask permission to hunt this property right so you're basically Mm -hmm. you're gonna you're trying to go to the table with as much knowledge information and a way to i don't want to say uh swoon these people but it kind of is you know you're looking to put your best foot forward to show them who you are. And if that takes, you know, to, uh, you know, Hey, I got a dog and I like, I'm a dog person or, you know, you find out, let's say maybe the, this landowner's favorite band is guns and roses. Then you go out to the store and you buy a guns and roses t-shirt and you wear it when you go to knock on their door. Exactly. You know, you know, research has shown, you know, somebody forms an initial impression of someone else within the first, you know, three or four seconds of meeting them. Gotcha. And I would at least like to have that going for me even before I, before I ask them anything. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, and now this, you know, after this research portion, so you've done your research. Now you get, you get an idea of who this person is. If you can, uh, you know, if you can get information about them, has there been any examples where the research that you've done, like you've went on their Facebook page or you've read information about them or whatever, and then you get to their door and they are completely different than what you thought they were? Uh, not really. No, I usually have, I'm usually pretty good at, at reading the, uh, the signs, I guess you would say. Right. Right. Okay. All right, so the next on the list now is you've done the research now, and now we have the meat, right? So talk to me about what the meat is. You know, you, you always have to go to this person's house and ask him, you know, you can call someone on the phone, and I'm not saying you can't have luck, but it's everyone wants to put a face with the name, and it's a lot better to go knock on the door, introduce yourself, be professional, and... You know, I'll drive by their house first. I'll look for, you know, decals on their car or truck or whatever. I'll look for that black target in the backyard or whatever. And, you know, I'm dressing for the person. You know, whatever I found out in the research as far as what kind of neighborhood they live in, you know, what kind of job they have. They have a more of a nine-to-five grind in a, a factory, you know, just, just clean jeans and uh you know, a nice flannel shirt, something like that. Or like I said, you know, if they, they run a, a multi-million dollar business, you know, and I'm driving into a, a gated community, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to look the part. Like I said, just that initial impression of somebody before you even open your mouth. And I feel like that, that is a, a huge, huge starting point and a huge benefit. Okay. So you're a firm believer that, you know, if, 
you can relate to them on a visual standpoint first because, like you said, um, what did you say? Something about three seconds. They 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 start to form an opinion about you in the first three seconds of seeing you. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so then you're saying if you can relate to them, look like them, dress like them, and you know, so when you come to the door, they almost see like a resemblance of either themselves or somebody that they know, then someone they would associate with him. Yeah. They would associate with. Then that is a better chance for you to uh, get on their property. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't hurt at all. A nice, clean cut, white smile definitely helps. Yeah. Okay. So. Now we have after the meet, right? So the meet is you you shake hands with them, right? And you introduce yourself. How does that typically go? Now, is there is there a like a little bit of a BS session first or do you go right into asking for permission? How how does that conversation happen? Uh, you know, if it if it allows itself, you know, uh like I said, the guy's dogs or something like that. Or one guy, when uh talked to, you know, a, a big storm has went through and knocked down a tree in his yard. And I was talking about how I had to clean my yard up the other day and let into that. But usually it's just, it's just right to the, uh you know, to introduce myself. And you know, I, you have to sell yourself, you know, you pitch yourself. And I, I go right into that, you know, I introduce myself, you know, how you doing, sir? My name's so-and-so. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to bother you. I hope I didn't catch you at a bad time right off the bat. But usually you're trying to catch these people at home when they're working people. So it's usually in the afternoon when they're relaxing or getting ready to eat dinner or something like that, unwinding for their day. And, uh, you know, I confirm, you know, you own the such and such piece of property. Am I correct in saying you own the such and such piece of property off such and such road? Because, you know, nothing, 100%, I've been led astray before through uh through X, but it's it's very real but you know i can i confirm it with them yeah i, I own it and so you know it's a beautiful piece of property i drove by it and everyone likes to hear that something they have is appreciated and beautiful something like that you know yeah. like oh you know this person appreciates my property appreciate my car they so I, I usually leave them with that and uh you know usually you're not waiting till the week before season to ask them. So, you know, I say, you know, this might be a, an odd question for you, you know, given the time of year it might be April, May, June, something like that. And then I ask, you know, give, uh, I was curious if you didn't already, if you would allow me permission to bow hunt on it this fall. And I usually just start with bow hunting because most of my property is in bow only areas. And even if people, have some type of stigma against guns. Usually, they view bows as more of a novelty item. Right. You know, they don't. They think it's more of a toy than a, a weapon. You know, I don't want you creeping around my property with a gun. But hey, a bow, that's pretty harmless. Have at it. So you know, I just go with the straight bow commission and go from there. And usually, you know, if I've done my research right, you know, they're an absentee landowner. Most of these properties are, you know, something that was, oh, let's say, will to them or someone who might live in the city that, uh, you know, they bought 10 acres more out towards the country and 
they were going to build a house on it, but, you know, money wasn't right at the time, stuff like that. And usually, you know, they have no issue with it. And I've had outstanding results. Like uh, this past year, I asked permission on four pieces, got permission on two. Uh, the year before that, I asked permission on five people, five pieces, got permission on eight. And uh, the fifth guy, all reason he said no is because he recently sold the property. So, gotcha. and that's outstanding odds for the area in this time of day. Right, absolutely. I can remember moving to the neighbor, uh, the the part of the state that I live in now, and for two days in a row, or no, excuse me, two weekends in a row, I went out to twenty two different landowners. I did my research, and I was told no. 22 different times right <laughs> yep, yep. So, everyone's been there yep and it's a part of i i mean it's a higher pop it's a higher population center in iowa um there's there's good deer but it's in between kind of two big city centers and then a third one kind of, so that forms kind of this really populated triangle and i ended up learning that you know i just stay away from that area and go somewhere else however when you are pitching these people about, is there any tells that whether it's a facial expression or body language or, you know, like if they smile or if they frown or if they, you know, they're not interested in what you have to say, they, they seem like they're agitated because you're at their door. Does that change how your conversation goes with them? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, usually I'm pretty good at reading people's body language. I'm a, uh, I'm a police officer by profession and, uh, you know, the, the arms cross is a defensive posture, just stuff like that. And, you know, if I, if I see that, you know, usually at the end I say something to the extent of, you know, I'd be happy to address any concern or questions you may have, because a lot of times this is the first time a non-hunter like that has had any interaction with someone you know, that hunts and wants to hunt their property. Right. And, you know, the one guy I, uh, the one guy I, I asked, he said, yeah, you know, I, I don't really have an issue with bow hunting, but, uh, you know, the only problem I have is, you know, I don't want any kids to be walking around in the field or whatever and step on an arrow that you might've shot and get poison in them. <laughs> and uh, this gentleman was a, <laughs> I kind of looked at him cross-eyed and, this and this individual was a uh, a Indian fellow, dot Indian, not feather. Yeah. And uh, he he literally thought I was dunking my arrows in poison before I, I went out deer hunting. I explained to him, I was like, no, I use a poison free rig. You know, it's just a just a sharp broadhead, and I ended up getting permission on that guy's property. So it never hurts to when the the opportunity arises to politely ask, you know why or is there any concerns you have there's there's nothing wrong with that what's the worst they can say is you know no you can't hunt it <laughs> right absolutely that's crazy that, that and that just makes you think of okay obviously and i don't even know if if it's illegal in all states or it because i think poison on an arrow used to be legal in some states <laughs> um, yeah i don't know maybe but the fact that people think that it just tells you that how, how, you know, 
how much work disconnected they are. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. And and how much work we as hunters have to do to let them know, know, no, I'm not poisoning animals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what about in this, in this conversation, you know, you're starting to pitch them the idea of the, you know, you hunting on their property, right? You know, you say, can I hunt? They say, yes. Awesome. You win. Right. Then mm-hmm. they say no. Do you, do you throw rebuttals their way ever? Or do you just kind of say, you know what? This first meeting, I'm going to go with no and uh, we'll try again next time. Uh, usually, I guess you, you would take the temperature each, each situation. You know, you if it's a hard line no, door slam, well, he's probably, probably not going to bite the second time but like i said you know if, if it's a like a soft no you know then like i said you, you ask me if i if you have any concerns or any questions just is you are you not a fan of hunting or anything in general or just and it's like that has that has worked out before where you start a conversation you can address the issues like the the poison arrow right right so mm-hmm. in these conversations that you're having you know you're, you're trying to gauge the temperature of them and you know, whether or not, cause your, your main focus is to bow hunt whitetails, right? Yep. Right. So do you ever, you know, based on the conversation, bef- maybe before you even ask the, can I h- bow hunt your property? Do you ever try to get, I don't know, uh, get your foot in the door by other ways? Like, Hey, do you mind if I shed hunt? Or do you mind if I turkey hunt? Or do you mind if I, I don't know, pheasant hunt or whatever? Uh, not really. I never, I never taken that uh, that avenue. I guess I never really, really had to. But uh, that is that is an option, you know, just so they can see what kind of person you are and start to build some rapport and relationship and go from there and build up. That's definitely an option. Right. So, what happens if someone says to you? Uh, well, I got another guy hunting on it right now. Do you do you rebuttal with a, do you know what season that he hunts? Is he out there? You know, I'd be willing to only hunt on the weekends or I'd be willing to hunt when he's not there, you know, or, you know, maybe we could exchange numbers and I could communicate with him. Uh, I mean, you can do that. That's always, always an option. But for me, I'd rather have, you know, I'd rather have, 10 acres that I had total control of, you know, when and where I hunted it, then, you know, 200 acres, I had four guys running around it. I'd just rather be the the only person on the property that, you know, I can influence the pressure. I can influence the hunting. I don't have to worry about other people. And that's just, that'd be my take on it. Okay. So after after that, after this conversation, whether you, let's say you don't get permission, but you have a feeling that you could come back to this property the next year. And now you're, now this guy knows you, right? He, he's seen you before. He knows that you're hunting. Do you ever go back the following year, follow up and ask again after being told no? I personally never have. I have a buddy that, uh, I mean, he'll, it's almost like he wears people out. Like the one guy, I think he's told him no, like five times, you know, he saw him 
walking up the driveway before, and he's like, I know you're coming for the answer still no. But uh, usually if I get a, a hard no, even after, you know, trying to address any concerns or talk to him the initial time, I usually just write it off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so you, you kind of just stay away from that point. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And that's one thing that, you know, I've – I've got some property owners that I talk with every year and whether it's, you know, I, I communicate with them like, Hey, has there been any problems with, uh, you know, people trespassing on your property? And they say, well, no, I haven't had anything this year or anything like that. I know that they don't have a serious hunter on their property and I'll, and I'll, I'll ask, I'll go, Hey, I know last year you said no, just curious if anything changed. Um, uh, would there be a possibility of maybe uh, me bow hunting on your property this year? And, you know, he, they say, they say no again. Well, I got my, uh, my brother-in-law likes to hunt, which the brother-in-law hunts one day a year. And the rest of the time, no one hunts the property except for maybe like a shotgun season. They'll, they'll do a drive through it. Right. But, right. but your, your approach is on a much smaller scale. So now what happens like, do do these landowners are they on their property a lot? Are they are they away from it? Do they just or does it just exist to them? Pretty much, it it just existed. Like I said, it was something that was willed to them, and uh, the taxes are a couple hundred bucks a year. So they don't mind paying it, or they they bought a piece out in the country to build a house on, and they haven't yet. And several of the pieces. I have permission on or from a single guy that owns it that is uh you know, a land developer. He uh will come in and build a you know, a custom build business or company for whoever whoever buys the property and you know, they have pretty much zero care for what goes on on the property, like I said, besides for the, the monetary value. When I do get permission on these pieces, one of the big things I ask is, you know, does anyone else hunt the property? No. Have you ever given permission to anyone else in the past because you know not everyone's as diligent as you and talking to the landowner every year and you know re-upping with them so to speak and making sure it's all right to hunt there year after year you know some people get permission five years ago when you go out to the property find a bunch of stands like oh yeah i got permission from so-and-so back in the day and you know they just been writing it out yeah i had an encounter like that several years ago actually when i first started seriously bow hunting i remember going onto a piece of property and this guy tells me he got permission 19 years ago he's like yeah i got permission uh i got permission in like 1992 i'm just like holy shit buddy uh that's 19 years ago i can tell you right now that guy is in a nursing home and the person who's actually in charge of the property doesn't have a clue who you are and uh right. that, long story short that guy tried to strong arm me and uh, he ended up getting kicked off the property but so so now let's say you get on this property and i mean you're going through a lot of work to access this right so you're doing your research you're finding the pieces of property and from the email that you sent me you are interested in a certain caliber of deer Right. You're not in you're not you're not doing all this work to just go out and shoot a hundred inch two year old, right? No. Okay. No. Pretty much uh pretty much if it's under 
140 inches anymore, I won't shoot it. Okay. And for where I'm at, that's that's pretty much unheard of. Right, right. So you found success doing you 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 found success doing it this way. Now you've done. You've done the work to get on the property. Now, once you get on the property, what does your scouting regiment look like? Are you hanging trail cameras? What's that next step? Um, first thing I do is I, you know, get to the property. First thing is I, I walk the perimeter. You know, that's going to tell you a lot about the property and, you know, a smaller piece. It's not like walking a square mile or a half mile piece or something like that. You know, I can I can walk the perimeter. I can see... You know, for the most part, any trails coming in and out. I can see any other hunter access, maybe from a neighboring property coming in and out. Because you gotta, you gotta remember, you know, these properties, you're looking at pieces of properties because they're pretty much devoid of human activity. Well, that obviously gets noticed by uh, any immediate adjacent homes or anything like that. Right. And sometimes they they tend to spill over, but. Initially, yeah, I'm walking the uh, the perimeter, checking for good trails. You know, any other any other signs? You know, good funnels. I'm looking for bedding, stuff like that. And uh, depending on the time of year, usually usually I go off a like a three year pattern. And I give a property three years. First year, I'll go in there, and I won't do anything to the property. I won't ask permission to do anything to the property. I just hunt it as is, you know, I'll put out a couple of trail cameras if I see good spots or something like that, or if scrapes open up and I'll just hunt the property, just, I guess you would say naturally, right. you know, whatever natural movement's going on. And then I kind of adjust the next year based on what I saw the initial year from there. Okay. So then what, so what happens if, you know, you, you're going into a piece of property, you're walking it, scouting it, you set up your trail cameras, and your trail cameras are not showing anything in the caliber that you want. Uh, and I mean, that happens a lot. Like, I, I mean, I probably realistically have access on around hmm, probably 1,200 acres. Right now, a lot of it's from, you know, single landowners and multiple pieces. But uh, a lot of times, you know, I'll just run run cameras on there for, you know, a year. And if I'm, if I'm seeing deer, that's great. If I'm not, you know, sometimes, a lot of times, the property isn't going to be worth anything as far as, you know, the caliber of deer and just movement and, you know, just, you just write those off. But, you know, the ones you find, what you're looking for, usually you'll find it year after year, you know, um, whatever it is, the neighborhood is, is better, you know, the, uh, the habitat's better, stuff like that. And, you know, those are the pieces you key on. And I still keep track out of these other pieces, but usually after a few years, if it's not producing, I'm not seeing the deer that I want to, uh, to target and move on. Okay. So then you just, you know, you kind of just cut ties with that property. Have you ever had an example of, well, you go out, it's not producing, you kind of come, you forget about it for a while, you come back, and then there's a big deer on it? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely happened before. Um, and, you know, like I said, initially, I will just hunt a property as is, you know, whatever natural deer trails there are, whatever natural, 
scrapes covered, whatever, rubs, sign C. And like, say, I'll, I'll use um, 2016 for an example. You know, I initially got this piece of property. It was one of my larger pieces, it was 23 acres. And um, in that first year, it was trespassed, had other people on it. And I saw where a buck had moved in and started bedding. You can see, you know, the classic, you know, rubs right in the bed. Um, just everything that would point to a buck repeatedly bedding in a certain area. And, you know, he, if I, I took a step back and looked at why he was bedding there. You know, he was literally cutting does off, coming out of the bedding area, coming across the road to food. So I went in there the uh, next spring, and this landowner's great. You know, he, like I said, he doesn't care what goes on on the property. He gave me, you know, car blanche to do whatever I want. So I could probably plow it down if I really wanted to, and he wouldn't yeah. care. So I, I went in there, and uh, I put a, a small food button. I'm talking 20 by 25, just off his bed, probably 60 yards. And like I said earlier, it's all thick cover, you know, a lot of autumn olives, a lot of uh, honeysuckle, young popple, stuff like that in there. And it was probably 60 yards from where I believe this tear to be bedding. And I put my buddy in another stand at night, and it was October 13th. And I went and got in, uh, in this stand overlooking this little tiny micropod. And, you know, the wind was, was just right for it, just, you know, right on the edge. And... Right at 4.30, I had a deer get up, come in behind a uh, probably, you know, 20, 25-foot oak, nice bushy oak. I could see it was a, a bigger deer. I couldn't see the rack, and when it stepped out, I could see it was a nice buck. And the reason that deer was there and got up and came in there was because of that micro plot. And then ended up, I ended up shooting him at 25 yards. And ended up scoring 159. Man, that's crazy. So you, you said the first year you kind of just let it ride uh, as is. And then the second year after you've built this relationship with the landowner, are, are do a lot of them give you permission to alter the land? Like, uh, I don't know, maybe cut down some trees to maybe create a better bedding area or plant a food plot or any habitat improvement to get... I guess big deer to either live or come visit on these smaller pieces. Uh, they do. That was a, you know, a, a singular example of cutting the, uh, cutting some trees down for some bedding. But as far as, you know, the plots, it's all about how you approach them with it. You know, you're not going to say, Hey, you know, I want to put a, a micro kill plot perennial in this little opening, you know, you're like, Hey, you know, you have this little, little section this little clearing about the size of your front yard or something like that. Uh, would you mind if I plant some clover in it to feed the deer? And I've, I've never been told no, if you word it to them that way. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So talk to me about how this relationship with these landowners kind of, you know, you, because I think a lot of people, what they do is they're just like, boom, they get permission and then they shut the landowner off. Right. Uh, they don't they don't continue mm -hmm. their relationship with them. And I think that's kind of a negative to some of these landowners. They're, you're not in communication with them anymore. How often are you in communication with some of the landowners that you hunt on? 
uh, some of the farther ones, you know, might live an hour, hour and a half away. And, you know, I might, I might call them once or twice a year just to check in. You know, I always send a, uh, you know, a thought out Christmas card, you know, thanking them, especially the first year, you know, I'll send them a card, you know, saying, you know, thank you for allowing me to hunt your, your property. Um, I appreciate your generosity towards me, a total stranger to you. Your, your kindness is greatly appreciated. And that goes a long way, you know, it just shows them what kind of person you are and that you're, you're trustworthy. And then, you know, some guys that are close. I know one guy, if I go over his house, I got to clear out an hour block. Cause I'm, I'm sitting down with him. He's an older guy. He just wants to have a, he just wants to have a beer and talk and I'm fine with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, one thing that I have run into as, as a person who hunts on permission property is the amount of involvement that the landowner wants to take on their, their piece of property. Uh, for example, trespassers or thieves. And mm-hmm. I hunt on some pieces where a trespasser could come through and... I would say, hey, I, you know, what do you, maybe I even confront the, the trespasser and I say, hey, listen, guys, as far as I know, you don't have permission to be on this property. You need to go check. And they, they're like, whatever. And then they leave. So then I go and do what I feel, feel is my due diligence. I talk to the landowner and I say, listen, I caught these guys trespassing on your property. And some landowners are no. I, you know, if that happens again, call the sheriff or whatever. And then you got some that are just like, well, I really don't care. It doesn't bother me. You know, they're not really hurting anything. How do you handle situations like that? Um, you know, usually, and that, that happens, you know, especially with, you know, some older property owners, they don't care one way or another. And, you know, I explained to them just like I uh, explained when we initially started talking. You know, I, I told them about, yo, you know, I just don't want someone to fall, break a leg, and then sue you for for the uh, the incident. Yeah. And usually that that changes your tune. Once you hit somebody in the pocketbook, usually uh, that'll sour them sour pretty quick. Right, right. I want to go back to the the pitch. And in this note, you said the pitch you think is where a lot of people bomb, and where it comes to. You know the conversation to ask permission to hunt a piece of property. What do you think? Mm-hmm. What do you think is the biggest mistake people who go to ask permission make when having this initial conversation with a the landowner? They don't have their spiel kind of planned out. You know, it's just like it. it benefit you going into it to have something planned out what you're going to say to almost rehearse it on the drive out there and practice it saying out loud just like you're back in college preparing for for some speech and a lot of people you know struggle with that you know they get right up there they lock up and they're just like uh can i hunt your property I'm like um no i don't know anything <laughs> about you i don't know who you are and i feel like that's that's for a lot of people drop the ball if they you know just practice something you know and they're confident in saying it people can see that you know this is a, a confident person well spoken and that'll that'll go a long way right okay and how do you how do you deal personally with and i know this is kind of a, a subject change but 
you've had some bad experiences with trespassers and thieves and um you know you're you're chasing these deer you're becoming successful i take it that there's people in the area who notice it and they're 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 becoming i guess you would say jealous of your success and now they're starting to basically fuck with you yeah it uh it happens, and, and like I said, if a, if a piece of property has been vacant for a while, hasn't had any, you know, human intrusion on it, you know, neighbors notice this, and they kind of treat it as their own sometimes. And, uh, you know, one one incident in particular, I got permission on a 16-acre uh, piece of property, and uh, obviously the neighbors on both sides hunted, you know, the guy, the one guy had, uh, you know, big, pretty much condo on stilts, blinds right on the fence line. And he actually had shooting lanes cut across the property that, uh, I got permission on. It had, you know, you heard it just spray painted on trees, all sorts of, <laughs> sorts of stuff. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, obviously I, uh, I went over there, I introduced myself, said, you know, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to see some extra. I got permission from so-and-so. You know, I went out there and I, about 80% of the time, just hunt out of a, a tree saddle. Right. You know, it's, 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 it's easy. I can, I can get in and out. It's very inconspicuous. And, uh, in this particular property, it was a really good piece of property, really good neighborhood. So I hung a couple of portable stands for my, my dad to hunt out there with me. And, uh, me and him came back probably. Uh, about a month before the season, just do a walk through to make sure everything was okay. And I was going to point the stands out to him. And the one tree was laying down. I'm looking up in the air. Where's my stand? Where's my stand? And I see, you know, the tree down on the ground. And all my tree stands, I mean, I'm sure you could verify this, you know, when someone steals your stuff, it's pretty much just going to be a, uh, a crime of opportunity. You know, they're walking through, they see your trail cams not locked up. Right. They take it and they're gone with it. So I, I went above and beyond, you know, I chain locked both these tree stands to the trees. I took out the four or five bottom steps and I even lag bolted the stands right to the tree through the main support. So if someone really wanted them, they would have to work for them. And I went back out there and the tree stand was cut down and somebody had taken a grinding wheel and cut up the stands on both trees. And I was hot. And you're a cop. Yes. And they <laughs> they probably don't know at this point that you're you're a police officer. But at this point, that tells me that doesn't tell me there's a thief in the area. That tells me someone exactly. someone doesn't want you there anymore. Yeah, someone's trying to to make a statement. It's not just like I want your stuff. You know, they want you out of there. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. There, you have two things to worry about at this point. One, you go back to the landowner and you share this information with them, and the landowner's mm-hmm. like, "Oh man, that's just, that's just bringing too much attention and problem. I don't want to deal with it. Uh, why don't you just not hunt here anymore? Right? Because they don't mm-hmm. want to have to deal with the problem." Or they thank you and say, "Well, hey man, I want to sue that guy for the value of that tree and for trespassing or somebody right like that." So. How did mm-hmm. you how did you approach a situation like that? You know, obviously, uh, 
there's a, a little bit more to it than uh, that. The, the neighbor actually did know what I did for a living. Yeah. And uh, I, I knew his uh, his son through uh, through people, I guess we'll say. And uh, he told him about me. And I went to the landowner, told him what was going on. And, uh, you know, he's like, that's BS, blah, blah, blah. You know who it is. Let's do something about it. So, you know, uh, I made the report and everything. The DNR comes out and they bring a forester and they measure the vet. They measure the trees and the circumference. And the landowner said, you know, I'll prosecute the person. If he comes forward, they finally get a confession for the value of the trees. And you can, you know, get them for the, uh, the value of the equipment you lost. So I was, uh, I was all about that. And that's what I initially did, but, uh, Kind of a longer story short, and never went anywhere from there. Right, right, man. So, so have you had trail cameras stolen as well? Yeah, I uh, all on this. I went out. Is this on the same property or on different properties? These are all on different properties, right? Right. But a bunch of different properties, and I can count on a couple of years. Like say, I went out Monday to. uh, I had wanted to move trees probably 30 yards in this one area, and I had a uh, a camera in the area, general area, so I thought, well, I'll pop over there and check it. And I went over there, and it was gone. I don't know about you, man, but this year I've had f- five trail cameras stolen on two different pieces of property. And, like... I almost hit a blackout stage of anger where I'm glad there was nobody around because I probably would have done something I probably would have regretted, like, I don't know, slashed a tire (laughs) or (laughs) threw a punch, you know what I mean, which is never good. But, you know, like in my head, that's what I'm thinking. So So what happens when these bad things are happening to you, right? thieves like this one guy obviously just didn't want you in the area now you have people who Mm -hmm. are trespassing whether or not they're stealing because they want your camera or they're stealing because they got caught on camera you know what i mean Mm -hmm. how 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 do you handle situations like that well like like you said you know you want to black out you want to you want to go crazy but uh you know at the end of the day, especially in my situation, I like to stay gainfully employed. Right. So, I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta think about it. You know, do you want this controlling the rest of your fall and your season, or do you wanna, you wanna focus on what you really enjoy doing? You know, obviously, you're not gonna win a a war with someone who is right next to a property that you know is 30 minutes away from you. It's just not right. gonna happen. Right. And although it, although it sucks, and you would like to say. Well, I'm not going to let somebody influence my legal enjoyment of the sport. Sometimes you just got to chalk it up as a loss and on to the next piece. Move on. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Random question. Have you ever, have you ever like maybe had an idea of who the person was who either stole your trail camera or, or you know, messed with your property and pulled your squad car into their, uh, into their driveway or maybe flashed your badge in conversation to try to be like, uh, I just screwed with a police officer. <laughs> I, uh, I never have. No, no. 
Oh man, I had a buddy once. Who, I know, I know. It would definitely probably cause some oh shit looks from some people, but no, I never. Uh, right. Usually, never use that line. Right. I mean, I have a. I got a buddy. Well, he's not necessarily. He's more of an acquaintance, but I was having a conversation with him. He's a sheriff, and he pulls a squad car onto whatever property he like if he's going to talk with a landowner and it's automatic for him like oh you're a police officer yeah you can hunt my property no matter what like he he gets access to whatever property he wants because he he kind of uses his squad car as a i don't know like the best possible lure there is he catches a lot of fish if you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah i get what you're saying you know there's always there's two frames of thought about that i'm in the frame of my, I don't want anyone to know I'm a cop for the most part. <laughs> right, right. I got you. Well, man, I wish we had more time because I'd love to, you know, share some more stories. I'll have to get you on again to do kind of a uh, hunter profile and get, you know, and talk about this strategy because you've killed some very impressive bucks for the area that you hunt in. And uh, I want to know how you do that. I mean, we've, we've got part of the story now as far as accessing these small parcels. The next part which is equally as hard is killing these deer on you know 10 20 acres only which has you know obviously limited places for tree stands so i definitely want to continue this conversation another time but uh man i really mr x i really appreciate you uh taking (laughs) taking time out of your day to uh come on the podcast and uh chat man hey anytime dan it was uh it was a privilege, and uh, I really, uh, really did the podcast and uh, like what you're doing with it. And there you have it. Huge shout out to today's guests for coming on the podcast and talking to us about how he gains access to those properties. Thank you. I thought that was a real interesting podcast. Huge shout out to all of you who have taken time to download this podcast and listen to it and download and listen to all the podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation podcast network on the Whitetail feed and on the big game feed as well. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast wasp ozonics ripcord lone wolf and exodus trail cameras uh thank you very much for your support because without your support this would not be happening and if you enjoy this podcast please go out and support those companies because in fact they do support this podcast so what else do I have to say, man? If you, you know, check us out on Instagram and Facebook, Nine Finger Chronicles. Uh, check out Sportsman's Nation on Instagram and Facebook. And go to iTunes and leave a review. And if you're going to be in a tree doing anything hunting related, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend. <laughs>